Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman. And I'm Eli Koaz. And it seems that nobody has learned their lesson from the American presidential election because as we come off of the last 24 hours since the Israeli election, people are already making sweeping judgments without access to the final results. You gotta count the votes. I tell you, you want to get the results, you gotta count the votes. Yes, we can't stop the count here, and it seems that we won't have a final count until Friday, and because of the nature of Israel's political system, we also won't really definitively know what the results mean for several weeks, but we can offer you some analysis now. And we have a better idea now than we did last night at 10 p.m. when the exit polls were released in Israel, and Right now, checking with the elections website, the Israeli Elections Committee, about 90% of the vote has been calculated. Most of the outstanding vote is what's called uh, in Hebrew, matafote kfulot, which mean double ballots. Those are ballots that are absentee ballots, ballots of Israeli soldiers. Also, because of COVID-19, those are ballots of those that were in quarantine or in isolation. Um, So I've heard that those votes will count to about 450,000 votes. It probably won't change that much, but we can definitely, we should keep a close eye to see what shifts, um, what, what shifts may occur with the outstanding vote. Yes, and especially in a situation where one or two seats moving around could make a big difference, and we'll get into that in a moment, those votes could be very important. But right now, with just about 90% of the vote counted, as you mentioned, Eli, can you run down how many seats are each of the different political parties projected to come into the next Knesset with? Of course, Evan, I'd be happy to. So Netanyahu's Likud, to no no one's surprise, finished with 30 seats. After Netanyahu's Likud, we have Yesh Atid, the centrist party led by Yair Lapid with 17 seats. Following Yesh Atid, we have Shas with nine seats. Shas are the ultra-Orthodox Sephardic party. With eight seats, Kahol Avan, the party led by Benny Gantz, may be considered the surprise of the election. With seven seats, we have Yamina, led by Naftali Bennett, a right-wing nationalist party that tried to appeal to Israeli center voter, centrist voters. UTJ, United Torah Judaism, the ultra-Orthodox Ashkenazi party, with seven seats. Avigdor Lieberman's Israel Beitenu, with seven seats, a centrist party that campaigned against the ultra-Orthodox. Labor Party, the party um, that was that really founded um, Israel with seven seats under the leadership of Meirav Michaeli. Then, what many call the disappointment of this election is Tikva Chadasha, uh, New Hope, led by Gidon Sar with six seats. Gidon Sar, obviously a previous uh, top pol- uh, lawmaker in the Likud, um, that left to form his own party. With six seats, we have the joint list, um, a very disappointing result from Ayman Uda. That's the joint list of Arab parties. Then we had the religious Zionists with six seats. That's the far right wing 
religious, national religious party that includes the Kahanist um, Itamar Ben-Gvir, led by Betzal Smotrich. With five seats, we have Meretz, uh, the left-wing uh, Zionist party that was in danger of falling under the 3.25% threshold. And one of the most important parties, which I'm sure we'll get to talking about, is Ra'am, um, the United Arab uh, List with five seats. That's the party led by Mansour Abbas that broke off of the joint list. And when we saw the exit polls last night, Ram were actually below the threshold. Once the votes were counted, and this morning uh, we found out that actually Ram would be comfortably above the threshold, which completely flipped um, the circumstances for forming a coalition. And, you know, this result is going to be interesting to watch play out. And that's really only because Netanyahu uh, has become such a divisive figure. And these elections, in a lot of ways, center around his continued uh, service in office as prime minister. Um, you know, certainly there is a lot of ideology at play, but it forces people together into formulations that wouldn't really make sense under any other circumstances. I mean, if Netanyahu were not at the head of Likud and not uh, seeking immunity from prosecution in these corruption cases that he is still facing, uh, then there would, I think, be a very clear coalition between Likud and New Hope and Yamina and probably Yisrael Beitenu. Um, you know, New Hope might not even exist. Uh, if it weren't for Likud. These are people coming from Likud because they didn't like Netanyahu, but not because they didn't necessarily like his policies. And even, you know, when you were going down those parties, you referred to Yisrael Beitenu as a centrist party. This is a very right-wing party, and the only reason that it finds itself kind of on the same side of the tracks as a party like Meretz, a uh, very, very left-wing party, is because of Netanyahu. Right. I mean, when you say right wing, you're talking about um, the Israeli-Palestinian issue. I mean, they'd be considered center-left on social issues in Israel, which are have been kind of at the forefront of uh, this election and with the ultra-Orthodox. But, but yes, definitely a right wing party when it comes to um, talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and also specific internal issues within Israel. Right. And that's why I think it makes it so difficult to see how the coalition negotiation period is going to play out. Because once again, uh, the way that things are falling here sort of pivots on Netanyahu, but everything else, uh, you have really a clear right wing victory. It's just that the question of right and left um, you know, if we are defining the right-left axis in Israel based on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, which is the way it has often been described, um, then it seems like there's a pretty decisive result. But Netanyahu sort of changes that up, right? And I think uh, I think Israeli voters um, they voted this election more than the pe the previous three was. 
in particular a referendum on Netanyahu to the point that the blocks, like you mentioned, they were previously mentioned, they were previously classified as right and center left. In this election, they're classified as pro Netanyahu and anti Netanyahu. So many Israelis that would have never considered voting for Avigdor Lieberman and Israel Beitenu, for example, back um, in 2013, let's say, would now were now open to voting for him just because he was so firmly in the anti-Netanyahu block. The anti-Netanyahu, pro-Netanyahu divide, I think, is also not so clear because you have some parties that are not fully committed. Yamina, led by Naftali Bennett, um, this right-wing national religious party that, as you mentioned before, was trying to get a broader appeal, and Bennett was trying to position himself um, to outflank Netanyahu. Uh, you know, they, they're the probably the best example of this, of a party that was super non-committal to either side, and a lot of people have speculated that they will come back to Netanyahu nonetheless, because that has kind of been Bennett's track record. You also have the United Arab List, Ram, the party that you were talking about before, this conservative Islamist party that broke off from the joint list, came back above the electoral threshold, and at least for now, looks like they have five seats. Um, they are also not really committing to a side. Earlier today, you had uh, Ram officials saying that right now it looks like a center-left coalition better serves their interests, uh, but there really isn't a viable center-left coalition. Again, if you take Netanyahu out of the equation, you have a pretty clear right-wing victory and a uh, really the makings of a secular right-wing government. Uh, but because of this Netanyahu question uh, related to his corruption cases, uh, it, it really changes everything there. And we'll have to see also uh, how Ram comes down on this question. Right. I think uh, Ram officials would tell you that they were always above the threshold. And it was the, the Israeli pollsters that did them an injustice last night um, when they left them uh, just under. Um, but I think it's important to mention, um, just this is kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, that when the exit polls came out, we were under the impression that Netanyahu was super close to getting um, the 61 seats with Naftali Bennett's Yamina party that would give him a pretty uh, viable path to a coalition that may even include his immunity. And Actually, when I woke up in the morning, I saw that that had grown from 61 seats to, to 63. But then we got an influx of votes um, that came from a lot of Arab towns and villages, and that put Ram over the threshold, and that completely changed the math here. And it's going to be very interesting to see how Ram decide uh, to uh, operate. For a long time, as you, you've written this You've written about this often, Evan. Um, the Arab parties have refrained from actively participating in, um, in Israeli politics, but that's definitely changed. And part of Mansour Abbas, the leader of Ram's calculation to leave the joint list, was that he actually wanted to 
keep his options open, and, as you mentioned, entertain the option of even joining a Netanyahu-led government, something that, w- that was unthinkable uh, for the rest of the joint list. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. The likelihood of Ram sitting in a government that contains Kahanist elements, such as Itamar Ben-Gvir and Betala Smotrich, doesn't make sense to me. But we'll see how Netanyahu will navigate this because um, there are a whole bunch of scenarios. I definitely think he's going to try to um, to work uh, his magic and he'll look for defectors from a number of parties. But this is going to be a very complicated task for him, especially right now, because even with Yamina, um, the, the Netanyahu block is only at 59 seats without Yamina. The, the Netanyahu bloc is at 52 seats. And just to remind our listeners, when I say the Netanyahu bloc, I'm talking about the Likud. I'm talking about the two ultra-Orthodox parties, Shas and United Torah Judaism. And I'm talking about the religious Zionist party that includes the Kahanist Itamar Ben-Gvir. Together, they are 52 seats. That might change by one seat. So if they go up to 60, that makes it easier for Netanyahu. He only needs one additional defector, let's say, to form a coalition. Um, so Netanyahu is in a really tough position. We'll have to see how the remaining double ballots change um, change his predicament. But right now, he's definitely not a happy guy because I think he knows he has his work cut out for him. And the most likely scenario right now is that we're headed to another election that could be as early as this August. Yes, and I want to hone in on one point that you made, which is that Ram is unlikely to sit in a government that includes the Kahanist faction under the religious Zionism umbrella. You really have this interlocking system of who won't work with who. Uh, It's something I wrote about earlier this week. And um, this is one pretty clear example, uh, the idea that you probably wouldn't have an Arab party uh, in a government or supporting a government that also includes a party whose raison d'etre is basically anti-Arab racism. And there's also some personal conflict there. Uh, Just recently, uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir said that he would work with an Arab party. That's Ben-Gvir from the Kahanist faction. Uh, if Mansour Abbas renounced his uh, beliefs in killing Jewish babies. Of course, uh, Mansour Abbas has never expressed belief or support in killing Jewish babies, so Abbas understandably threatened to file a libel lawsuit against Ben-Gvir. So, uh, you know, if that's the kind of relationship between these two factions, I think that we can uh, we can say that, at least right now, it looks like Uh, that would not be a combination that would work. But also, you know, on the one hand, as you said, Eli, Netanyahu is in a difficult position. On the other hand, anyone who wants to present an alternative coalition is also in a difficult position because just as you have a situation for Netanyahu where he can't, you know, both have Ben-Gvir and Mansour Abbas, you also have a situation on the other side where you can't have Avigdor Lieberman and the joint list, Ayman Oda. Um, Lieberman has been... Lieberman has been outspoken in his uh, anti-Arab rhetoric and his specific opposition also to the parties of the joint list. And uh, the joint list parties are understandably uh, probably not comfortable with that um, and wouldn't want to support him, not to mention uh, Naftali Bennett, depending which side he falls on, or Gidon Saar. Yeah, you're completely right there. And that's why I didn't even 
mentioned the option of a alternative coalition being formed. Uh, and that's because I think that it is incredibly unlikely. Um, and that's why my the two scenarios here that we have that could happen, the most likely from the results that we see now is another election. And then after that, I would say Netanyahu making a government with Bennett and with defectors. Um, what you mentioned, the option of a alternative coalition, it really would, it really is far fetched to think about, right? Because let's say you take Yeshatid's 17 seats, right? Then you add labor, which is seven seats. You have 24 seats. You add Meritz's five seats. So far, so good. 29 seats, parties that are completely aligned. You add to that Kaholavan, another eight seats. We have 37 seats. So you're still not close to there. And already then it gets a bit tricky. You can definitely add Yisrael Beitenu, Lieberman's party, to that coalition, even though Lieberman said that he wouldn't even sit with Meritz, I believe. But that gives you 44 seats. Then where do you go? You would probably go to uh, Gidon Sar. That gets you to 50 seats. And then you, you're kind of stuck again, right? If let's say we'll add, somehow you get Gidon Sar and Lieberman to agree to sit with the joint list. That's six seats. Then you have 56 seats and you need to find five more. Ram are five seats, but would there be a coalition with Ram and Gidon Sar and the joint list and Israel Betenu? I think people would say that I, I'm out of my mind suggesting it. If you take out um, the joint list, for example, and add Yamina, you could have 62 seats. But again, would Yamina sit in a coalition with Ram? Maybe, maybe not. But there are these like situations out there. And then there's a whole other conversation of in this coalition, would it be Yair Lapid that is the candidate for prime minister? Or would it be someone else? Yes, yes, Yair Lapid has more seats than any of the other parties in this scenario or this anti-Netanyahu block. But if Naftali Bennett is going to commit to the anti-Netanyahu block, which I think is almost impossible, he could say, I'm the difference maker here. I should be the candidate for prime minister. And he only has seven seats. So we're talking about, I mean, I'm doing, I'm just playing like number games here, but I want to illustrate the point that it really is tough to see any government being formed without Netanyahu at its head. Um, Netanyahu, at the same time, will have a very difficult uh, path to forming a coalition, but at least from his perspective, um, it's a lot easier. And, it, and I would say that his chances are quite a bit better than anyone else. Right, because even under the current circumstances, you peel a handful of people off of different parties. And of course, there's been no indication that anyone specifically is willing to go over to the other side and leave one of their parties to join Netanyahu yet. So we should withhold uh, saying any def anything definitive there. But if that happened, and that did happen in the aftermath of the last election in March 2020, then you could get Netanyahu over the threshold, over the uh, majority mark to 61 plus. You may have an unstable kind of government that doesn't really last out the year like last time, uh, but Netanyahu is really just playing for time here. 
um, and his priority is getting a government that would grant him immunity. But really, and, you know, it pains me to say this because I wish we had something more interesting to offer you, our listeners, but what I think Eli and I are dancing around is that the most likely outcome at this point is a fifth election. And it's not a really novel or original analysis to say that, uh, particularly after the past two years' events. Uh, but, you know, you play with the numbers, and we'll have to see how things pan out when we have 100% of the votes counted, uh, and, as well as go through the coalition negotiation period, which could take several weeks, uh, and that will have to come after the Passover holiday. Uh, and then we'll see. But really, uh, again, it looks like the outcome and the trajectory has been set for a fifth election. For sure. And I just want to flag a quick point about Netanyahu's predicament and why this fifth election looks almost unavoidable. Um, I don't think Netanyahu is keen on having Ben Gvir and the far-right Kahanists in his coalition, but I think that he knows that the only people that are going to give him immunity um, are Ben Gvir, the Kahanists, and the ultra-Orthodox. So if Netanyahu could, I think you kind of pointed to this earlier, I think you could easily form a coalition um, that includes someone like Gidon Sar or even Benny Gantz again going into government saying he's doing it um, to save Israel's democracy and Israeli institutions, Israeli judiciary, all those things. Um, but because of his legal predicament, I don't see Netanyahu going for that. And that's why the likelihood of a fifth election... I mean, we can't even, uh, we can talk about scenarios all we want, but I think Netanyahu is kind of going to continue trying to play this game of going to elections. And it's it's sad that I'm calling it a game because it's, these are obviously very expensive and and they are, um, there hasn't been a budget passed in Israel for several years. Um, but really for Netanyahu, he is, going again and again, trying to find a way to get to 61 seats um, of people that would be able, of parties, sorry, that would be willing to support uh, some sort of immunity. Um, and unfortunately, it's just leading Israel to election after election. And to, m to my dismay, it doesn't look like it's going to end um, with, with these results. Yes, and... Of course, if it doesn't end there, we will continue to bring you updates about this. I think when we started this whole cycle back in the end of 2018, which is crazy to think about when, when elections were first called, uh, you know, first you had this sort of stumble toward elections when Avigdor Lieberman resigned from the government and it was expected that Bennett would follow him, and then he didn't right away, and it took about another month for elections to be called. Uh, I don't think anyone thought that we would be here now in 2021, still talking about the possibility of another election within such a short time span. Uh, you know, as we mentioned on our last episode, it's not totally unprecedented uh, in these sorts of parliamentary democratic systems to have so many elections so close together. But as you were just laying out, Eli, it certainly is destabilizing and 
not necessarily good from an institutional perspective. And we mentioned, remember we mentioned last episode that Israel was first in the world in terms of most frequent elections since 1996 among democracies. I mean, I think Israel are even, it looks like they're going to increase their lead in, in first place. So I guess if that's a positive, then... Yeah, you know, Greece has nothing on Israel now. That that lead is only going to expand. Uh, but, you know, I think this is probably a good place to tie things up. As we mentioned earlier, we will probably have the full results on Friday. So keep an eye out for that. And we will be back next week with more material, more resources, breaking down those numbers, what they mean. You know, we could be totally off with what we just said, but this is where things stand as of now when we're recording with about 90% of the vote counted. And I should say to you, Evan, and to all uh, our listeners, uh, Chag Sameach, happy Passover for all those uh, celebrating. Um, and hopefully, uh, wherever you are in the world, you can forget about these Israeli, Israeli elections and enjoy some nice time with um, your family. Um, those in Israel are fortunate that uh, Seder's this year can actually happen uh, in person for the most part, which is uh, very nice, especially considering Seder's last year, which, at least for me, was done on, on Zoom. I think here in the U.S., I'm going to still be relegated to that American Zoom Seder experience. But hopefully this is the last time, as you were saying. But, you know, for, for everyone else, uh, happy Passover, Chag Sameach, uh, you know, maybe next year in Jerusalem or next year at the ballot box again. Uh, we will have to see. So until our next episode, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. Yalla, bye.